Hey, what's up? This is Mr. Bill. Uh, I don't have any show announcements this week, but if you could go to the Apple Podcast app and rate, comment, and subscribe, that would be sick for reasons I do not understand, but do it anyway. Thanks. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. all right it's recording check check yep uh cool we're good yeah man welcome to the mr bill podcast thanks for coming on hey thanks for having me man i uh, I remember listening to your first episode with uh with andrew Andrew. yeah exactly yeah i was like shit it'd be cool to hang out with these people yeah andrew's cool (laughs) then we like uh you and i like ran into each other just off chance yeah the cohen sound show yeah yeah, Andrew's sick, man. He's um so he invited me up to Toronto just to like uh, I guess he just wanted to work on music. So, um I feel like artists get to this point in their career and maybe you're at that point with your career too. Um where Andrew's kind of hit the point it seems like with YouTube where he's kind of like YouTube for him is like a very stressful thing. Uh-huh. It's something that takes up like a lot of his time. You know, he's like planning videos for like months in advance and then it's like a lot of recording, a lot of editing just a lot um a lot of you know stuff and it's just all stressful for him and whatnot and i feel like touring is kind of that all right this this is the first podcast splice in i've never had to do this before (laughs) fuck yeah bro so yeah we're recording this in my living room and my roommates just walked through dude i feel like this is the sketchiest podcast ever it's just like literally wherever i can do them it's in like hotel rooms and like just <laughs> friends bedrooms and shit like I've, it's literally just like a, a bunch of times i've just like been sitting on a bed in like my friend's bedroom like talking to someone like, that's fucking awesome bro <laughs> yeah a lot of people are like oh you should do video too with the podcast i'm like trust me you don't want to see that shit <laughs> it's literally just me sitting around with somebody else i don't know man your setup is uh it's pretty cool yeah yeah it's pretty fun in here i mean it's it's gonna be better once i get all the panels up and tidy shit up a bit it still feels very like uh, weird and anyway as i was saying um yeah i feel like for andrew like the youtube thing has become very stressful for him and to like touring for me is that right uh-huh. but i feel like the end goal for most artists is just to write more tunes right and it's kind of like you do all these extracurricular things just to try and award yourself the amount of money to pay rent to give yourself whatever five days of the month to just work on music and be not stressed about anything else or something like <laughs> yeah, that. exactly uh yeah um i've also been taking a break from youtube to write tunes mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's been great um you know i always have the sort of creator anxiety of shit if i leave this alone long enough am i just gonna lose any sort of following uh but um uh, you know, I, I try to stay active in terms of doing the weekly l- roasts and live streams on my Discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I've just been trying to finish out this fucking album. And uh, I was also prepping for the Ableton certification thing. Um, 
but yeah, that's just kind of where I've been at with my time. I can't imagine how stressful it must be for at somebody at Andrew's level though. It's just like insanity. Like I think I heard him talking about it once in a YouTube video where he was just like doing two videos a week yeah, for exactly. like a long ass time and just like sleeping maybe like four hours a night or some shit. And I'm just like, dude. He's definitely a hard worker. Yeah. <laughs> he's on the, he was on that YouTube grind for a long time, but I think he's kind of taken a bit of a break now too. Good I think it's, um, everybody has that anxiety, right? Like people especially have that in touring as well. Like I have that right now. It's like I'm doing at this point between 50 and 70 shows a year, Shit. which for me is a lot. For some artists, it's not that much. Like some artists do like 150, 200 shows a year, which is like every other day, which is fucking crazy. That's insane. Um, yeah, I don't want to like really, I think, ever get to the point where I'm doing more than I'm doing right now. But I have that same thing. I'm like, well, I've got to take whatever, you know, because you do the circuit of America, right? And by the time you finish doing the circuit, you're like back at the first city again. Mm -hmm. And then it's been, you know, whatever, four to six months since you've been in that city. And it's like, you don't want to leave the plays between the city like too long, you know, like you don't want to say play LA once every three years or something. You want to play it like, you know, maybe twice a year or you know, do one big festival there and then maybe play it on your spring or your fall tour as well. So like you, you're kind of hitting all these markets a few times a year or, you know, at least one time a year. Mm -hmm. And in America, there's just so many markets because there's so many cities and shit like that. But it's almost like if you don't take that wind in your sails and go with it, it feels like you could lose fans or relevance in those markets. Right. And you don't want to lose relevance in any market, which basically puts you in perpetual travel mode. Fuck, dude. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, you know, I want to get into playing shows. I mean, that's sort of my goal for, um, uh, you know, after I release this album. But for example, I was listening to your episode with, uh, shit, what was his name? Uh, he was the guy who lives in Utah. Squanto. Squanto, yeah, 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 conspiracy theory guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's the opposite, right? Like he was, he was at that level where he was doing like 150 or 200 shows a year. Yeah, for sure. And now he's like, fuck this, I want to go and teach and do YouTube and shit. Right. Like he, <laughs> so we're going to like switch places from, and I'm probably going to oscillate back. But mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think what it is, is it's like, you see the end result that other people have. Yeah. So in your case, it's like seeing, you know, say for instance, Moody Good, like playing to a bunch of people or Cohen Sound playing to a bunch of people. You see that end result, but you kind of forget about the A to the B point, which is like this huge fucking grind right? where you're doing a shitload of shows and literally like working your ass off on music and like having existential crises about mix downs all the time. And like, sure. you know, I mean, putting an album together is like fucking hugely stressful as well, especially if you're on a deadline too. Where yep. like, um. So I think, um, you know, Squanto has this idea that, oh, yeah, if I get into teaching in YouTube, that will like, you know, belay all this stress off me or whatever. But I think he, he just doesn't, he just sees the end goal that some people have in the teaching community or whatever and like forgets that there's maybe some sort of grind there too. And then by the time you've done the grind, you get to the end result and you're like, I fucking hate this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Squanto, if you're listening, the fifth you know, the 500th or 1,000th time you explain what a clip is to a new student, you kind of want to shoot yourself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, but at the same time though, I can't, I can't knock teaching too much because it is very, very rewarding, especially if you're working with a student, uh, who you've been, you've been working with for an extended period of time, like a year, year and a half, uh, or two years. I've had students that long, um, just to see the progression and to see like the look on their face 
when they finally get how automation works or they're finally happy with this sound and serum that they made. Um, you just remember where that happened for you. And it's just super rewarding. Um, so yeah, I love teaching. I think it's great. It's also really cool. I've had a couple of students where I've like, or I don't know, I wouldn't say I've really had students because I, I really just had people watch my YouTube videos and right. watch the videos on my website and stuff like that. But it's really cool when somebody goes like, I pretty much learned Ableton completely off your Ableton videos. Yeah. And then they send you a track that they made and it's actually really fucking sick. Yeah, man. Like, oh, nice. Also, um, there was this one guy in particular where I think I felt even more rewarded than any other person where he was like, I literally learned English from your videos. <laughs> he was like, I, I, I watched all the videos on your website and that's how I learned English. And I was like, that's even fucking better because I wasn't even trying to teach that. That's fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> I should have asked him if I could do like a Skype call with him or something just to be Yeah, like, man. He's just like got my exact demeanor and shit. <laughs> oh man, making a bunch of Mr. Bill clones in like Uzbekistan or some shit. Yeah, That'd be sick. I mean, there, there's been people who've told me that they've like adopted like saying wowzers or like even like my facial expressions from watching my videos so much mm -hmm. which at a certain point kind of becomes creepy <laughs> oh yeah and like people like fucking make emojis out of my face or some shit and it's like i feel like super weird bro that's some like <laughs> internet meme shit right yeah <laughs> which i think surrounds your community quite heavily yeah especially probably because of your discord server which is like fuck what ten thousand people now? something like that yeah. which is crazy like uh, i think my discord server is maybe two thousand but i haven't really heavily promoted it did yours just get that big just because you're plugging out a shitload on youtube and stuff uh i was yeah i was promoting it on youtube and just saying at the end of each video like hey you know if you like this join my discord but what i did not expect was that the discord would turn into like a self-aware self-organizing organism basically people took it upon themselves to create all the sub channels, do all the roles, create the admin, uh, establish the rules, make bots. Um, basically everybody is appointed themselves to make that happen. I'd had no part in it, <laughs> which is scary, but also just awesome because it's, you know, flourished, right? It's, it, you know, for example, I got a message, <laughs> I got a message yesterday, uh, from an admin on the discord saying that he had met his current girlfriend on the discord and Russell. they had oh, oh. this dog is free, oh. man. man doing a podcast in the lounge room is hard <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> russell, chill out bro <laughs> oh my god here hey oh russell i think somebody somebody have got <laughs> <laughs> shit all right my podcast editor is going to have a field day with this one <laughs> um man that's crazy so yeah. you i guess like when you first created the discord you had like the main admin role so you just made admins from that and then they were the ones who sort of just set the whole discord channel up for you right yeah exactly and i didn't i don't even specifically remember making admins out of these people like i think at one point maybe one of them asked for a certain permission um shout out to bean on the discord i think you were the first um and then out of that just sprung everything and right now i think the bulk of the discord the main sort of appeal is the um roast before post section mm -hmm. where you have to roast somebody else's track as in give feedback uh 
um, before you post your own track so that it just doesn't all turn into fucking spam. Right. That's um, a good idea. Yeah. And, and how, how, like, who enforces that? Uh, so there are admins that, like, read people's roasts wow. and, like, make sure that they are constructive enough and long enough. You can't just get away with, like, like yeah, yo, base sucks. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, sick, bro. Um, you have to actually put some thought into your into your answer. And people seem to be enforcing that in such a way where um, it somehow is not just turning into, you know, a endless stream of spamming, right? Um, and then if somebody is active enough in the community, if they give quality roasts, people can react with a roast me emoji, uh, where if they get a certain number that puts, puts them into another <laughs> channel called the underbelly roast zone, where, uh, I roast from that for my YouTube streams. So people get roasted on my YouTube streams because, uh, they are active in the community. That's what we try to reward Damn, so you had like people in your discord setting up this conditional shit where if a user receives enough emoji reacts on their comments that they end up in another channel yeah so it's not even like an automated thing some guy actually goes through oh, he manually yeah does andrew it. i think and he counts the amount and of emojis counts, yeah and he puts them in the that's fucked in the zone. <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> and i'm not paying any of these people <laughs> that's insane maybe i should <laughs> yeah honestly <laughs> i mean it depends like how valuable this discord channel is to you and stuff like that it's i mean it's pretty like, what awesome if, what if andrew just decided like you know what <laughs> i'm gonna do something else with my life <laughs> right yeah that's another scary thing it's like if somebody decides to leave the role i don't really have you know a system in place for somebody else taking over mm. um so i think that could be it seems like that could be automated probably i feel like i've seen discord channels before where you go in and it's like you have to uh scroll to the bottom of like a readme and then like react with some things before it lets you into the rest of the server and yeah stuff so like that's that. that's already in place and actually okay. a lot of people are confused by that right which i don't know if is a good or bad thing i think it's good i think like if they can't get past that first thing then it's like they're too stupid to yeah, yeah. <laughs> be a you know useful member of the community or no. just yeah it just means they don't read or something right <laughs> which like you know all discord is is a reading right exactly which um I, I i heard on your one of your podcast episodes that you don't usually do i don't really read no um i don't read books like i don't I'll, I'll never sit down with like a paperback book and read it but i'll like reference manuals and shit but usually when i reference a manual like say for a plugin mm -hmm. i'll usually kind of know what i want to get out of the thing anyway and i'll just like hit control f and search it word and then i'll be like oh yeah there's that one line of information i needed or something That's and smart. then but i don't know i like learning differently I, I like to just do shit and trial and error my way through shit to figure it out that's kind of how i figured out ableton right like I, I didn't i what and and i like to watch videos which is how i got into youtube stuff in the first place um like my original videos were pretty much uh so so originally um when I was like messing with Ableton and stuff, it was just all trial and error. There wasn't a lot of information out there anyway. Um, and I think Tom Cosm had like just uploaded his first couple of videos. Nice. And so I watched those and, and yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that for me is, or it was at least, and still seems to be the best way that I learn either just doing shit or watching YouTube videos or, you know, short punchy videos where it's like my attention span doesn't 
yeah go elsewhere and whatnot <laughs> I don't know, yeah i feel like i'm pretty bad with reading for that reason i just get distracted and also my comprehension with reading seems fucked too like mm-hmm. i can watch a video once or listen to a piece of audio of somebody talking like one or two times probably even just like one time and, and get most of the information out of it whereas if i'm reading a line from a book i have to read it like a ton of times before i even mm. understand what that line <laughs> is like trying to tell me interesting yeah. yeah, I think most people probably just learn through trial and error and um, uh, watching YouTube tutorials. In fact, I, you know, I, I do private lessons, one-on-one lessons through a program called Zoom, and that's how I make most of my money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, before I take on a student, I have an orientation lesson with them. And um, that, that's a chance where they can tell me what they want to get out of the lesson, what's the previous experience, blah, blah, blah. I have some people who decide like watch my video right uh and then hit me up and then i ask them okay so what's your previous level of experience and they're like none i've never tried to do this they just watch your video and they're like this dude seems like the one yeah exactly (laughs) and basically what i tell them is look if you haven't taken the time to you know google a few youtube videos and like try it out for yourself you know i'm not gonna bother wasting my time with this like there's so many free resources out there available now uh so many really high quality youtube videos so many you know uh courses and 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 such that um coming to me for private lessons is like kind of like uh if all else fails kind of thing right um and also or just like learning hyper specific shit that right maybe only you know how to do or something right exactly and and of course some people you know they need sort of a helping hand to guide them through especially if they're feeling stuck at a particular point and like say they don't know how to finish songs or they get stuck with music theory or whatever but you know i'm always more inclined to teach somebody who can help themselves at least to a certain point rather than you know i baby through them through you know what is a midi track versus an audio track or something like that you know right yeah and i think like um for me personally so i i did lessons for a while um pretty much what i did was uh I did enough lessons to just pay my rent for the month. And then that allowed me to be really selective about shows that I would take on. Mm-hmm. Cause at the time I was just in a weird headspace and I didn't really want to do shows for like a year or something. Mm. So I was just like doing lessons and I didn't do any orientations, but in retrospect, I probably should have because a bunch of the students that I ended up getting were kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and it, it's such an energy suck to, oh, yeah, bro. to teach someone who, who doesn't really know a lot versus somebody who knows exactly what they want. Um, but it's like, yes. there's also the opposite, I guess, where like, if somebody knows exactly what they want, they just like hammer you for like an hour straight. <laughs> with, like, no, I, I mean, for most of my new, new students, I have a sort of general curriculum in place. Cool. Um, and 90% of the time I do that. If they're more advanced uh, or they don't want to do the general curriculum, I'm like, hey, yo, you need, you, need, you need to be super specific with exactly what you want to get out of these lessons. You need to be like, hey, I want to learn how they make this sound in this song, or mm-hmm. I want to learn how this chord progression works. Right. Um, because otherwise, you know, you have, they probably have some idea in their heads of what they want their music to sound like, mm-hmm. but I can't reach inside their heads. Right. And, their, and, you know, what's going on in their heads is always changing. So, you know, I always ask them to be very, very specific in that case so that, you know, I can help them get to where they want to be versus a a beginner who probably doesn't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, In which case, running through the curriculum, my job is super easy. I don't even have to think about it anymore. 
Yeah, especially because um, you used to teach at Pyramind, so you probably have like a lot of experience with teaching and stuff, right? Yep. How how long did you teach at Pyramind? Uh, almost two years. Damn. So not super long. That's a that's a while. So um, I taught at Berkeley in Valencia for just like I think it was two months, pretty much. Mm. Um, I was filling in for my friend Ben, who developed the master's degree there for electronic music production. Sure. Which was sick. It was fun. Um, and I noticed that just after teaching four days a week for maybe three to eight hours a day for two months, that my ability to teach got like shitloads better just in that amount of time. Fuck yeah, man. And also, um, I found it had this extra effect of like, just because you're trying to explain something that's like fairly abstract and complicated to somebody every day, like what is MIDI or like right. something like that. It's not like a normal thing that exists in the world. Nope. Or it's not like a, vi- you know, a very easily visible thing that you can just be like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of like a TV, but you know, smaller. And then you plug <laughs> your computer into it and they're like, oh, a computer monitor. And you're like, yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, it's not something as simple as that to, uh, to articulate. It's like more fucking abstract and weird. Yep. So I feel like it made my ability uh to tell people about my feelings way better too because they're awesome bro well because they're also like really abstract weird things right (laughs) yeah that you can't just like liken to other shit really so it's yeah i felt like i got better at just like i don't know communicating in general yeah it just made my ability to talk better in general (laughs) that's awesome yeah which i thought was really cool so even like from a completely altruistic perspective teaching for me is worth it for that reason or those reasons do you still uh, not really. Um, I want to get back into it, but touring has just become like so heavy in my life over right. the last like year, pretty much to the point where like the last, um, since January, pretty much I've been out and doing a show every Friday and Saturday for this whole year so far. I haven't had a weekend off yet. Sure. I get my first weekend off next weekend. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and then I only get two weekends off and then it's back to every weekend again. Damn. Are you burnt off that? A little, yeah. Just, I mean, just going out every weekend is a lot. So, for instance, the weekend just been, I did five flights. The one before that, I did six flights. And Fuck, they're not like dude. short flights either. Like the first weekend was uh, Philly. So, this like right across the country and back. Right. The second weekend was Montreal, then Providence, and then back. So, that's like again across and back. The last weekend was Detroit and Tempe, Arizona. And then back here, and then this weekend is Denver, and then Orlando in Florida, and then back here. Jeez, man! So there's like a lot of fucking going across the country and back. Right. Like you know, people plan trips that span across the country and back for like months in advance, and do it like once or maybe twice a year, and then are like, oh, we went on vacation. It was a pretty big (laughs) deal. It's like, dude, I literally make that trip every weekend, (laughs) which is so fucked. Um, I was also talking to my housemate. a couple of days ago about like the emissions that yeah i was talking with my girlfriend about that too whether flying is like morally irresponsible because of the greenhouse gas emissions so it's kind of fucked but like um my housemate brought up a good point which was that it's only like two percent of the problem like the, the yeah. biggest problem is is power like coal and electricity and yeah. shit like that that's what's causing like 70 percent of the problem um but i was chatting with jan about this and she brought up a good point, which is that like, yeah, but the, like the average person doesn't really fly. So if everybody was flying, that would probably cause, you know, yeah. a much bigger issue. So yeah, definitely. I, I heard some fucked up statistic, like flying from LA to New York and back, or maybe even just one way is the equivalent to 12 months of like someone driving a car. Jeez. Um, fucking yeah, that is mental. Um, 
I hear that the it, it's if you're gonna fly, it's better to take longer flights with fewer layovers mm -hmm. because up to twenty five percent of all emissions happen when the thing is just taken off or you know getting back down. Um, so you know, <laughs> I mean, you could try minimizing like the layovers, which is probably just better for you, anyways. Yeah, um, layovers are terrible. I always yeah. try to avoid them if I can, just because it's like. When a flight's delayed, it's always happening on a connection, I feel like. Right. Like you connected somewhere and then it's like, now we fucking, there's a snowstorm all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Especially on the East Coast at this time of year as well. So many delays over there because of the shitty weather. Right. Except Florida, that's on the East Coast. Well, right? here's the thing. You keep flying more. The weather's going to get warmer, less delays <laughs> for more flights. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. If I just do enough flying destroy right. the planet yeah, enough exactly. it'll never get cold <laughs> there'll be no delays <laughs> um that, that kind of reminds me of that bill burr joke where he was like every time i go through the i can't remember the exact joke but basically the premise of it was that he thinks that every time you go through the airport and you have to put your arms up in that machine and it scans you the millimeter wave scanner mm -hmm. he thinks that that's like slowly cooking everybody because the tsa don't actually want their jobs or something like that so he's like yeah we're just slowly cooking the audience kind of until everyone's dead and then we don't have to do this anymore nice. <laughs> i think i was hearing on your podcast that you know there's some talk or conspiracy or something like that that you know the whatever x-rays from outer space or you know plowing through your body uh if you're you know flying constantly which may or may not be true, but at a it's, certain... It's not true. It's not true? No. So um, this guy originally who told me this, his name was Tommy, and he's he writes music under the name Broken Note, which is like uh, he's a part of the Slug Wife crew, like with Cursor and Sepper and stuff like that. Cool. Um, he told me that. He's like, oh, yeah, every time you take a flight, it's the equivalent to like 23 x-rays or something. Right, and I was right, like, right. whoa, that's fucked. <laughs> and I didn't like bother to check the information i was just like he sounds legit yeah. <laughs> but then i like said it on a podcast and then somebody in uh, my facebook group which is called the beleagle immigrants um posted an article and was like yeah it's totally not true Bullshit. Yeah. yeah i mean it's still not good for you flying that much yeah so the thing that is like the worst this the two main things for me is a i'm tall so uh right. it like pushes my legs into the back of the seat oh. if i'm flying just regular economy which i mostly am um which like fucks my hips up like every weekend when i get back on a monday i'm like shit i have to like go to the gym and like stretch out a bunch and do some workouts and shit to like re unfuck my hips basically damn and um so there's that and then also the second thing is usually every sunday night monday morning if i've been doing a lot of flying that weekend my throat is pretty fucked too because of all the recycled air on the plane it's super dry yeah my throat just gets really dry from it even though like i'm pretty good at drinking lots of water and stuff right just I don't know, circulated air for five hours is not just everybody's farts. Just yeah, literally, swallowing. pretty much. Yeah, you're just like <laughs> swallowing people's farts <laughs> for like many hours a weekend. Sick. <laughs> this is why DJs are like, you know what, fuck touring. Right, right, right. I honestly think the main reason why DJs eventually go like fuck touring is because of flying. Yeah, I think that's the number one reason that it pisses most people off. I think you were talking about, talk, like, I think you took a bus tour one time. Yeah, that um, sick. Which is a lot better, seemingly. Super sick, yeah. It's just, But it's also way more expensive. Right. So it's like when you take a bus tour, you'll have, like, a crew of people with you. So, you know, if you're taking a bus, like, you're not just going to take a bus just because it's you 
playing music off a <laughs> off a laptop, right? Like if you're doing a bus tour, you've usually got like a lighting setup or a, a big visual setup, totally. And you've got like a tour manager, and you got like a lighting guy and a sound guy, and then like maybe fucking. I was with Beats Antique, so they were a three piece band. Plus, they had like a dancers and shit because um, they were like sort of this big theatrical show, and they had a sound guy, a lighting guy, a tour manager, and then a whole like other thing of gear that they were towing around too which was just i think full of lighting and i think they might have had their own mixing desk or something too fuck so they had like yeah it was a full setup and then obviously a bus driver too um <laughs> well we'll see how long that plays out for in the next five ten years but <laughs> yeah what, what bus drivers <laughs> yeah yeah because you can just automate that shit probably oh that's that's a good point actually yeah, yeah maybe they could automate it and it becomes way cheaper i'll just do bus tours <laughs> <laughs> or just open for really big artists all the time yeah i mean never that's... tour solo well, that'd be fucking sweet for sure. Um, but yeah, it's so good because you literally like finish the show. You don't have to like go back to a hotel and like check in and like figure all that shit out. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to set an alarm to wake up in the morning and get back to the airport, you know, two hours early to get through TSA again. Right. Take your shoes off, take your <laughs> shit off and then like get dressed get again cooked. on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get cooked by the millimeter wave scanner <laughs> and then sit on a flight for like you know a few hours and then get off and then check into another hotel and like take ubers everywhere and shit right it like removes all of that from the equation so you pretty much finish the show go back onto the bus just go to sleep and then wake up at the next place you have to be at which wow. is the venue that in the, in the next city and it's kind of sweet because like you know if you're like flying and then you like see the city as you're flying into it on the plane and then you get out and you uber to the venue and shit it kind of like i don't know you see like a lot of shit. I kind of like just waking up, walking off the bus and being like, sick, I'm just in the middle of another city. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of sick. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's like, you know, you wake up, let's say one day you just wake up and you're just like, cool, I'm out the front of the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium and yeah. then like the next day you wake up and you're like, sweet, I'm out the front of the Hollywood Palladium now. It's like... <laughs> totally. I mean, is it comfortable sleeping on a bus? Because you're in a bunk, basically. It's, it's honestly like not as uncomfortable sleeping in the bunk of a bus as it is flying on airplanes i think word yeah i mean it's not comfortable sleeping in the bunk of a bus <laughs> but i'll take that over airplanes it sounds like if you're just on a plane maybe you see the city or maybe you see it passing through on an uber on the way to the venue or the hotel or whatever but you don't really seem to get a sense of the city that not you're really. in yeah i feel like you get a better sense of it on a bus because right the thing is is like let's say you go to sleep at whatever 1 a.m or 2 a.m in the city before Mm -hmm. and then you get to the next city it's like 11 a.m and by the time i had woken up most days like everyone had already gotten off the bus and were like (laughs) setting up the show and shit like that so i just like get off the bus and be like oh sweet and there's like a coffee shop over there and like you kind of oh perfect you're like in the city like with nothing to do for four or five hours from like midday onwards pretty much until right. sound check basically so you get like four or five hours of just time to just walk around a new area that's oh, perfect dude. yeah which is sick like all of that time usually is spent on an airplane yeah which sucks so yeah that's definitely preferable but then if you do the maths right like how much does it cost to hire a like what's the daily cost of having a bus yeah it's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars per day and then the cost of a tour manager per day it's another depending on your tour manager 200 bucks 300 bucks a day but whatever their rate is sound guy you have to pay him every day even on off days when you don't have a show you have to pay them right um you know the off day rate is usually half of a show day rate so it's like you know say your tour manager's day rate for a show is 300 bucks then an off day will usually be like 150 
So, you know, and then there's the lighting guy. He's got a day rate. So like the bus driver will have a day rate. Like everyone has a, a rate, right? So right. all of a sudden it's like your tour just to be on the road costs like thousands of dollars a day yeah, just man. to run. And if you don't have a show that day, it still costs thousands of dollars. <laughs> so it's like if you have a four-day interval where you don't have like shows or something You're like that. losing money. Yeah, it's just cost you 10 grand just to sit there for four days with a tour full of people who are still getting paid. Fuck. So it's a little more expensive to do it that way. But yeah, it is better. It's, <laughs> it's nicer to tour that way for sure. But then again, I mean, you know, these metal bands and stuff like that who tour only that way because it's way cheaper for them to f- than flying five to 10 people around or whatever. Right. Um, and then they'll usually like <clears throat> package up with other bands, you know, like Vale Maya will package with like Animals as Leaders and Periphery or something. And yeah. they'll do like these big runs. Um, and they end up doing like two to three bus tours a year and they end up doing like 100 to 150 shows a year that way. Wow. And I would imagine that probably gets pretty old. Eventually, you're probably like, you know what? Fuck being on a bus. Yeah, I want to fly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so the grass is always greener, I guess. Yeah, potentially. (laughs) (laughs) So like, what's your goal with the show thing? You said you're trying to finish an album and then what's the goal? Yeah. um, I mean, it would be nice to do like a West Coast tour. I don't know, like just up and down the coast and maybe like a US tour or something like that. I mean, really the only touring experiences I have was five years ago, I was in college and this dude I had maybe jammed with once, his name is Azeem Ward. He was a flute player at UCSB and he became viral uh, for his senior flute recital. Was it flute beatboxing? Uh, A little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit of that, but it was mostly just like a classical flute performance mm-hmm. that for some reason got a hundred thousand rsvps on facebook or whatever wow all for some reason in the uk okay. so he became a viral meme sensation in the uk and i had once again like jammed with him once i used to do this thing where i would strap a mpd to my body uh, and just like sort of play it standing up kind of like an rjd2 type situation mm-hmm. uh and um he was like hey uh i just you know i'm getting these show offers in the uk you want to come and so yeah i was like fuck yeah i'm gonna come uh and yeah we played like a 18 city stop tour in in the uk off of his memedom which we basically organized ourselves and like did a kickstarter for the flights and uh stayed just stayed with people um and that was really cool i had so much fun i mean i like got really sick because i drank too much all the time yeah (laughs) so if i was going to tour again i would you know especially hearing the stories that you guys tell on this podcast and and stories i've heard i mean um i am prepping for it you know my next touring experience to be mostly traveling and kind of shitty but i honestly just miss playing shows and i miss performing yeah and i like traveling so I just want to do that until, yeah, eventually I get burned out. Don't want to do it anymore. Go back to teaching. It's all good. <laughs> nice. uh, but yeah, some sort of like West Coast tour uh, would be pretty sweet. Yeah, nice. Do you have an agent already and stuff like that? No, shit. I don't. I mean, I've listened to your podcast, so I, you know, I have sort of a passing familiarity on how that works. But yeah, I really don't. I, I really don't know how I'm going <laughs> to pull this off. So I feel like the way it usually works <clears throat> is uh, what will happen is somebody generally 
uh, will either start like doing shows in their local community just because they're like hassle promoters enough or something like that. Yeah. Or they will already be like releasing music online and there'll be a bit of buzz around them that way. Like for instance, I think Cohen sound are sort of like that, like where they were more it, like they hadn't really played at the US at all before they had like a really sick agent here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think generally people will either go like two routes. One is like, yeah, that will be that promoter hassling kid who's just like sort of on all the nights because they're just, you know, uh, grinding and hustling in their local community or right. two, they'll release music online and the music online will start to get a bit of buzz because, uh, I don't know if it's good, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, and then from that point, it's like, because, you know, like from an, if you think about it from an agent's perspective, like let, let's say you're an agent, you don't want to take on like an artist where it's going to be like fucking tons of work on your part to like sell this artist to any promoter. Totally. Because, I mean, what an agent's job is, is basically sending emails to people and being like, hey, want to put this person on the show? Right. And the promoter basically being like, no, I do not. And then them being like, here's a bunch of reasons why you should. But if they don't have good reasons for why they should, yeah, then it's just making their job harder. And, you know, agents already have to hustle hard enough. So, like, they don't want to make their job any harder than they yeah. needs to be, I guess. So, yeah, that that's exactly what I need to do first. I need to write the fucking music, mix it down, master it, uh, promote the shit out of it online, and then hopefully out of that. I will be reached out by to by an agent or, or something like that. I think um, usually the way it happens is like you would have a manager and the manager would like shop you to agents and labels right. and stuff like that. Or um sometimes like if you released music on like a label, mm-hmm. sometimes that label would have an into an agency or something like that. Yeah. I think it can work both of those ways. The way it worked for me was I was just like online basically releasing albums from Australia and I'd never even been here before. And I was just like just posting shit all like i released i don't know tons of albums and tons of collabs and shit like that Uh and then an agent eventually just reached out and was like hey you want to come and play in the u.s and then i was like yes (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it was mostly just grinding online with releases yeah yeah so that's that's what i'm planning on doing yeah i think you you have a pretty fucking good head start with the youtube thing how many subs does your youtube channel have now i have Something like 175,000. Yeah, that's insane. Like, I feel like, and do you know the demographic? Are they mostly from the US? Yeah, they're mostly from the US, about like 35% from the US. And out of that, 8% is from, 8% of my totals from California. So the vast majority in the US is California. Okay. Yeah. So I, man, I bet you could probably just like, you could even just make a video and be like, hey, I'm doing a bunch of shows and just post it on your <laughs> YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I need to, yeah, I need to get, uh, booked at those shows first or convince a promoter to have me at their shows but yeah that's a good point the other route is to like put the shows together yourself right which is yeah. like book the venue yourself and then fucking do all the promo yourself but that's so much work it is a lot of work yeah i, I might i don't know i might consider that I, you know i'm sort of i'm sort of get thinking five steps ahead right because i still need to fucking finish writing the damn thing um but you know in terms of promotion I think I'm in a somewhat tricky space and you've sort of maybe already talked about this on your podcast, but mostly people know me as a YouTube tutorial guy and it might start, might take a little bit of convincing to be like, Hey, I'm an artist too. I oh, make yeah, music. Sure. <laughs> uh, so, or I could go that route or I could be like, Hey, if you learn something from my videos, 
do me a solid, <laughs> listen to the song. If you like it, share it. Um, so just trying to leverage that to the best of my ability while still keeping in mind that people have to a certain extent put me in a box and I need to find a way to sort of break out of that in a way that feels natural and not sort of, um, detrimental to the brand that I already have. Totally. So that's, uh, I think I got like a similar thing, honestly, yeah. with um, the YouTube thing, because I think I, I initially had like a pretty large YouTube following before I had any following on like SoundCloud and shit like that sure. as well. Like I had, I think at the time, 30,000 subs on YouTube and then only like you know, 100 or 200 on SoundCloud or something right. like that. So I was definitely more in the tutorial box guy kind of thing. For sure. And it's definitely hard, I think, to pivot at some point, right? Like when people have like, put you into a certain category to just be like no i also like do this and then they're like no you're the tutorial guy yep. fuck you <laughs> <laughs> and yep. i think especially with your tutorials because you have like such a specific persona on them too for sure what's the deal with that by the way like why did you decide to do it in that uh style where you're like i don't know how to even what would you even call that just sort of like really sarcastic or something. <laughs> right just like fucking deadpan as shit um the initial idea for You Suck at Producing came from another YouTube tutorial, tutorial channel called You Suck at Photoshop, okay. which was a sarcastic Photoshop guy making sad Photoshop tutorial videos about <laughs> like Photoshopping the van his wife uh, left him in with another guy. <laughs> so that's that's sort of where I got the idea from. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of stuck. And I had fun playing a character. But it is a little strange. I mean, it just happened now where, you know, your homie met me in real life after watching my videos and was like, oh, you're an actual human being. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, 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 it's weird for people. Um, yeah. And like, I sort of don't quite know what it would be like sort of presenting myself on stage um, if people already know me in that sense, like I could either do the act on stage, which is something that I was thinking about doing, or I could just be like, Hey, you know, fuck it. That's my YouTube tutorial persona here. I'm just, I'm here to just play fucking music. I'm not here yeah, to fucking yeah. say wowzers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. That'd be fucking weird if like, yeah. you're about to, you're, you're playing music and everyone's just like, say wowzers. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Because I mean, I've seen it. You know, I, I, I once again, my previous only to you know touring experience was with Azim, uh, and people came to his shows because he's a meme, because people saw him on the internet, <laughs> thought he was funny, didn't really give a shit about our music, uh, but just wanted to take hella Snapchats with him right. and sort of flex on their friends that they're you know hanging out with a real life meme. I mean, uh, fuck it though. Like, if they buy a ticket to the show, right? Then that's true. So, I mean, we made money; it funded our our tour. But the, uh, I mean, the other issue is, and hopefully, I this won't happen to me, is because he was a meme. It was very short lived. I mean, once the kind of trend passed, mm -hmm. nobody really gave a shit anymore. And we probably could have worked hard to sort of sort of parlay that into something more sustainable, like I don't know, releasing a single or something. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, it's. It's definitely something that um, 
I've thought about. <laughs> well, I don't. I think like as Mimi as your persona is on the YouTube videos, right? I don't think it's something that would just like end either because the videos also have like legitimate good information in them. Yeah, like your FM synthesis one was great. I even like learned some shit from that. I think. Thank you, man. Yeah, Appreciate that. I've learned so much from your videos, man. Nice. Yeah, I think it, for me, it's a little easier sell uh, to do tutorial videos because they're it's very clear what the value is mm -hmm. uh to the audience like you know the information is valuable whereas if uh, for some reason i sort of feel a little bit better promoting that because it's information that can help you versus promoting my music mm -hmm. which is like i'm pretty much making that just for me um and sure it might help you I don't know, get through a hard time or something. And we all love music, but it's a little harder to sort of have a tangible value there. Um, and it's certainly better, you know, tutorials is certainly better than like a fucking lifestyle vlog. Like, hey guys, <laughs> good morning. I'm going to sit down and make some beats today. That's definitely, yeah. I like, share like and subscribe, please. Yeah, so I have a buddy, Gardner, who um, he kind of quit YouTube. Do you, have you heard of this guy, Garden Sound? I've heard of the name, yeah. Yeah, so he was doing videos for a long time and he did this series called 365, which was fucking insanity. It was like a video every single day coupled with a song every single day for Jesus a year. Jesus Christ. So he did this 365 thing and he was like, surely by the end of it, I'll have like a bunch of subs and shit like that. I think he did it for a whole year and then by the end, I want to say had like maybe 10,000 subs or something mm -hmm. after 365 videos and 365 music releases. Right. And I think um, eventually I've talked to him at length about this and the theory that I've come up with is that the reason it never really got big is because like all the videos and shit were just all about him, not about right. like how the other person can get helped. And then I think like the one time he made a video that was not about like, here's what I'm up to and here's the shit I'm doing. And right. rather like, here's some information that you can use to help you do reach your goals in music. It like got fucking way more views. For sure, man. For sure. Um, yeah. I don't really talk about myself in any of the videos. Like sometimes I want to promote a release so i do like a video breaking down the song mm -hmm. or i do like a remix contest out of the song and sort of engage the discord there but i don't know the last video i put out like a couple months ago was like how to write lo-fi hip-hop chords mm -hmm. people care about lo-fi hip-hop and they want to learn how that works because that's like a huge genre and that you know that that popped off um so yeah i think I think just doing a video every day and sort of blasting people with yourself. Um, I'm not sure if that is the best way of, of going about it because I also did like senior year at high school. I posted a beat every day for a year um, and that didn't do shit for my numbers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you have to be really judicious about, uh, you know, keeping a pulse on what people want to learn. Like if, you know, for example, lo-fi, that's a huge fucking genre. So people want to learn that. I didn't see a whole lot of lo-fi music theory tutorials. And so that, that was a, you know, an opportunity there. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it is, I think a little bit easier of a sell if it's a genre or artist or sound that they're already interested in, um, rather than just yourself. Right. Yeah, for sure. Man, lo-fi is a weird thing. How do you feel about that as a genre? Oh, dude. <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny is 
I, I totally shot on lo-fi in that video. <laughs> like, really? What? Like, <laughs> it's just that, you know, 24-7 chill hop. It's it's like modern Muzak. Do you know what Muzak is? I've heard the name. I don't really it's, know. It's it music specifically created for like shopping malls and like grocery stores, music that you're not really supposed to pay attention to. Yeah, like background music. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just like boring. You know, it's boring to me. Uh, even though... My two biggest releases, both over a million plays on Spotify, are on Chill Hop, which is like right. the biggest, you know, lo-fi hip-hop label out there. And it's honestly perfect for Spotify. It's perfect music for Spotify because it rewards passive listening. Mm-hmm. It rewards just you pressing play on a playlist. All the songs more or less sound the same. And you get a bunch of plays, even though the person didn't really pay that much attention to the music. Um, we still get the stream money for it. Yeah, and I still do get the stream money, even though I released it, um, you know, like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I still get a check every once in a while. Yeah, I think um, a million plays on Spotify is equal to like eight thousand US dollars. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, it's so it's definitely profitable. It it's great for getting your name out there, but artistically, just super boring to me um that being said though the music that got me into producing was like like 90s hip-hop like mm-hmm. i was really into like dj shadow and jay dilla and pete rock and that's that was, pretty forward thinking beat stuff though uh versus like you, if you compare well, it to lo-fi hip-hop i mean the thing is lo-fi hip-hop is sort of like a modern rebranding of 90s you know golden age hip-hop right mm-hmm. like hip-hop before trap basically hip-hop sample based hip-hop right lo-fi is just kind of the modern rebranding of that of course it's watered down right um but it it bears a lot of the same stylistic similarities right just with all the points of interest removed so it doesn't distract you from doing whatever it is you're doing you know occasionally you get a cute anime girl saying koi but for the most part (laughs) it's just kick snare sad piano loop yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I have a yeah, I don't know how I feel about the Spotify thing. I I mean, obviously, I think it's great because like I have a lot of friends who are pretty young. <clears throat> They're like, I oh, fuck, I don't know. I've got friends who are like 21, 22 years old who just like fucking shit out lo-fi hip-hop tunes and chuck them on Spotify and all get millions of plays. Right. And they're like, yeah, sweet. I'm like 22, <laughs> making eight grand a month. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, it's awesome. But I mean. Yeah, it's like yeah, sure. Their Spotify play, uh, their Spotify plays are insane. Like the mm-hmm. hun- couple hundred thousand listeners a month and shit like that. Yeah, like more, way more than me and my friends who are doing shows. But yeah, no one would go to their show because nobody knows who they are because nobody's like stopping on those playlists that they're getting all those plays from and like right. checking out who the artists are and actually being engaged and converted to fans. Yeah, that's so. I just switched management, or I didn't really switch management. What happened is like. The music industry is fucking weird and my management company literally just got like absorbed by a bigger management company oh um so i basically went to a bigger management company um are you still with uh anand yes i'm still with anand but he's so his company Revolution just got picked up by another company called pivotal sick so um i think pretty much what happened was this uh other artist that pivotal once had called closey uh she sort of blew up and got super big and then picked up by like an even bigger (laughs) company and then wow some shift around shit happened with this other company i don't know that's the other thing is do you think youtube people convert to ticket buyers i don't know i mean the one time i did a 
masterclass in LA. Um, I announced that on my channel and that sold out both days. But that's also not a show. That's like, right. A, it's a different, it's more teaching. Exactly. Exactly. Did you do that at Icon? I did that at Beat Lab Academy. Okay. I know that guy, uh, the Israeli guy who runs it, right? Uh, I never met the guy who runs it. Is okay. it Sidebrain? I don't know. Uh, I, did, I did a thing there once and it was nice. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of different if you're doing a, like a teaching for, thing. For sure. Yeah. Then it's like people who are already engaged from you teaching, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how, how it could translate um, into ticket sales for shows. Um, that's something I need to figure out. In terms of what could replace SoundCloud, there's a, a website called Audius. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, so they're basically trying to be like the open source version of SoundCloud. Um, it's all 320 streaming. Uh, there's no membership fees. Um, they're basically just trying to make a new SoundCloud, mm -hmm. basically. Um, how that will play out, I have no idea. Will it just run into the same problems that SoundCloud ran into, as in no way to make money? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I think there is sort of a open um, void in the market left by the sort of slow death of SoundCloud. I agree. Or some sort of streaming service. Maybe Spotify could pick up the slack there and make it more social. Well, I don't know. That would kind of fuck up what Spotify is to the... I think, yeah, what got left behind with SoundCloud, which is, I mean, I guess it still kind of exists, is this like weird little community of just like, producers just putting beats up as yep. they have literally just rendered them <laughs> and then yep. having like comments on the beats like timed comments at certain times on the beats i don't know it was just like a really weird but cool idea for a social media platform for music producers sure and i definitely think yeah that was like a, a really sick thing for a little while that just got fucked up by the repost button in my opinion yeah i think as soon as the repost button got introduced like your feed on soundcloud was just useless yeah when i first learned about repost chains i was like shit there's a whole economy <laughs> yeah going on here it's like the black market of soundcloud mm -hmm. i'm like oh this is how you get big you just pay for a fucking repost chain that nobody eventually looks at anymore <laughs> yeah because everyone just goes this is fucking spam yeah, exactly. so um i got hit up by a repost chain once and basically the deal was that um this this guy was like we have should we explain what repost chains are yeah so i'll explain it now yeah okay so this guy hit me up pretty much i mean this is the extent at, to which i know what they are anyway <laughs> this this dude hit me up and he was like we have about like 50 people who who, who have all agreed to this thing uh they all have pretty much over twenty thousand followers some have like up to fifty thousand followers and basically what happens is every time somebody releases a tune uh, you and everybody else in this group, like 50 people, have to repost it to their SoundCloud account. Yep. So every time you put a tune out, it'll get a shitload of plays. But the catch is every time somebody else in the group puts a tune out, you'll also have to repost it. Exactly. So I was just kind of like, fuck, like 50 people, like if maybe even half of them put out tunes on a semi-regular basis, yeah. my whole feed on my SoundCloud page is just going to be reposts exactly from these dubstep kids or whatever and there's no quality control right no there's exactly some... it's just like you have to do it if you're a part of the repost chain yeah some repost chains they like take control of your account so it automatically goes up you mm -hmm. don't even have to click the repost button anymore mm -hmm. um and yeah it's just totally fucked because if just one person 
puts out a shitty song yeah. <laughs> in that 50, all of a sudden, you know, one of your fans clicks on it and you're like, Mr. Bill posted this shit? <laughs> Unfollow. And yeah, then, well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, I don't want this fucking shit in my feed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's the thing is it's like, if you were reposting and being super particular about the way that you were reposting, it's kind of like you are being the gatekeeper of a spot at what currently is a Spotify playlist, yep. right? But yeah, if you fuck that up by just like giving people access to your shit, then yeah, it kind of loses fo- your followers' trust. Exactly. They're, they're like, no longer is his feed complete fire. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. Exactly. But at least it was a little bit more transparent on SoundCloud for getting on, you know, somebody's repost chain or whatever. I mean, you could just, there's the messaging feature, right? You can be like, hey, you know, check out my track. Whereas in Spotify, you're lucky if they post their email in the, say, Spotify playlist description. Uh, if you, you know, you sort of have to do more digging to really get at those big playlists because otherwise you're just going for the Spotify editorial playlists and those are just a complete crapshoot. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to take a crack at the Spotify game when I'm going to be releasing my shit. Um, well, it's still but, a place to put music. I, I think yeah. there's definitely still a small market of people who aren't on Spotify who still use SoundCloud as yeah. their main source of finding music and listening to music. For sure. Generally younger people, though, I think. Um, I don't think, I think like most of the middle age, like 30 to 40 year old crowd have probably moved on to something like Spotify or yeah. Tidal or. You know, because they have the three dollars a month to to spare <laughs> on the subscription to Spotify. Right. <laughs> All these like mid twenties people who are just like still producing at their parents' house or whatever, like three bucks a month. Fuck that bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree though. I think somebody should like pick up the slack on the on the whip service. Right. Uh, yeah. So I have I have high hopes for Audius. There's also another thing called Clip. Oh, yeah, I know about Clip. Which, I actually uh, met those guys. I went to their office in uh, Austin. Nice. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, they they definitely, I think, have the mentality of, yeah, we're trying to do all the shit that SoundCloud didn't do right. Right. And still retain the shit that they did do right. But there's a few things that I don't think they're doing quite right. Like, I don't think you can make a playlist on there. Mm. You can't upload multiple tracks at a time. So if you're uploading an album, it's like... No way. Pain in the ass. Right. Um, some shit like you can't put images with the track and stuff like that and mm. just a bunch of stuff like that i think could be better but yeah basically like whatever soundcloud was before the repost button when shitloads of people were using it and they they just shouldn't have changed it at that point it should have just like stayed yeah. at that point where it was and then i think it would have been sweet well r.i.p soundcloud <laughs> yeah i mean it's not quite dead yet <laughs> not quite but i think dead. this audius place like where they'll run into issues and i think maybe where soundcloud was running into issues money wise is that if you just have that much streaming going on there's got to be like some crazy server costs or something right so it's like how's that getting paid for you're either just like sucking funding out of like i don't know venture capitalists or i don't know entrepreneurs who think it's going to pay off someday and have a bunch of money for some reason or something like that yeah i think even spotify is not profitable yet right i guess either show ads to people or uh, make people pay hey. a membership fee is like the two options right and I think SoundCloud does both now <laughs> yeah 
I mean, they did the membership options in the first place. Like you would have to pay X amount of dollars to upload unlimited amount of music and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I don't know if Spotify is profitable or not, but uh, Jan and I wikipedia the guy the other day who invented spotify mm-hmm. and i think he's like 35 or something and he's definitely pretty wealthy good for him yeah <laughs> <laughs> he should make a second service called uh soundcloud 2 <laughs> and just make it well, he, he, should, he should literally just buy soundcloud and just unfuck it oh totally uh if you had that much money like just yeah buy soundcloud and unfuck it and then you own soundcloud and spotify like that's the real big dick energy move right there. <laughs> exactly <laughs> or just google buys the whole fucking thing yeah google or apple or something yeah <laughs> if google and apple merged would you call it gapple gapple <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound very good. Gamazon? <laughs> Gamazon, yeah. There we go. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, did you have any other things you wanted to mention or talk about? Um, I guess I'm just curious what your day-to-day life is like. Like, what do you, like, what do, you do on an average day? So th- it's kind of depends on the month. Um, this month has been a lot of shows. So, uh, Monday through Thursday, I've been like pretty strict about, uh, going to the gym down here and working out. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Uh, been doing that every day pretty much. And then I'll sort of just be like here, mostly either working on set stuff or working on music. Um, and also cause I've been moving in, it's been a little bit of like, you know, shifting shit around and trying to like get all my stuff moved in and for sure stuff like that. So that's been my day to day recently. And then the weekends have just been like, usually it's fly out on friday morning get back sunday night so uh-huh. i'll wake up like <clears throat> my flights out of san francisco because i've been going to the east coast you lose three hours going to the east coast plus um it's a five or six hour flight so my flights have been like seven or eight a.m so i've had to wake up at like 5 a.m the last few fridays damn and get to the airport and then it's just been like flying around the east coast doing shows and then coming back on the sunday and then the monday starts again where i start doing my workout and write music routine so that's mostly been this month um but on months where i don't have a lot of shows on the weekend it's pretty much the same from monday to thursday but then over the weekend it's kind of just it continues <laughs> Damn. of just like writing tunes basically that's awesome man yeah it's pretty good you know it's ironic because my i think i know you just moved here to the bay and my girlfriend and i are thinking of moving to denver and that's we're a actually gonna great place to we're live. actually gonna visit in like two weeks nice um yeah, I'm flying there at 7:30 in the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What should we um what should we check out there? I'm definitely going to hit the black box cuz the I'm black never... box is sick. It's yeah. um it's the sickest like 300 person venue in the country, I reckon. Like there's no other venues that are that small and sound that good and just like have that kind of vibe and stuff. Right. Um yeah, definitely check that out. Uh as far as food goes, there's tons of sick restaurants. There's like a these two places I really like that are actually vegan spots, even though I'm not vegan or vegetarian, mm. called one's called Studio City, the other one, and that's pretty much right next to the black box. And the other one's called Watercourse, which I think is just owned by the same people who run Studio City. What else is sick? There's just shitloads of venues there to check out that are all sick. Like the Fillmore is really cool. The Ogden is cool. Uh, Cervantes is cool. Red Rocks is fucking amazing. Right. Um, if you're into hiking, the hiking there is pretty awesome totally uh i would like go for a drive as well just to like see the mountains and shit mm. like you could drive out to boulder or something check out the mountains there 
um and then just walk around some of the areas like lower highlands is really sick um what else is cool capitol hill is really cool that's Uh, where we're gonna be staying nice yeah that's a good spot um lodo is cool like the downtown area there's a club there called beta which is pretty sick the um it's where like a lot of the edm shows happen and right next to beta in the lodo area there's a place called one up which is like a barcade so it's like an arcade but they serve alcohol and shit and they also have another one up uh on colfax which is pretty much in capitol hill where you're probably going to be staying pretty close to um yeah other than that just i don't know a ton of good restaurants ton of good venues it's pretty sick yeah there's really good beer places do you like beer i love beer there's a place you should check out called first draft it's a, a tap room that has like 35 taps or something and you give them your credit card and they give you back a different card and then you're allowed to just walk up to the taps and touch this card that they give you to the taps and just like pour any amount of whatever beer oh you want. God, like if you wanted, you could go tap all of them and like fill your beer with 36 <laughs> different beers if you wanted. Um, that, that place is fucking awesome. And then basically you go back at the end and it like measures how many ounces you like pour each time. Wow. Um, so like let's say you went up to... 10 different taps and poured three ounces each you would then take the card back uh to them at the end and they'd be like cool you poured 30 ounces of these beers which cost this much per ounce and then just charge your card with that amount damn we truly live in the future yeah that's pretty sick sick yeah um yeah that whole area wherever first draft is i can't remember the name of the area but that area is sick too to just walk around yeah that's cool that you're thinking of moving there it's definitely sweet for electronic music producers to live out there because it's kind of cheap right and it's i don't know the electronic music scene out there is just so rich because there's just so many producers out there like everyone's a producer there. are there is are the people who've been living there like 30 40 years just super annoyed with all these california kids coming in and just gentrifying <laughs> the shit out of their poor town i don't know i think they're probably the minority at this point <laughs> we beat them yeah, I think so. yeah also i don't know if you're into smoking weed and i know california's got like a crazy weed culture but yeah i think the denver weed culture is stronger at least in in san francisco from yeah, what i've I noticed i don't smoke weed but i've definitely heard that yeah i don't really either but um yeah a lot of weed culture out there for sure dope yeah yeah it's a fun time Cool, man. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast.